the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. How does he work in you? That's an amazing thing. God the Spirit works in you in conformity to the Father's will, to his choosing you, that sometime in time and in history, God the Spirit breaks into your heart and into your daily life and does a work in you so that you respond to Christ. How? Look at the next part. That you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Usually, when we refer to obedience of Jesus Christ, we talk about a Christian's obedience. That's not what it's talking about. The result of the Father's choosing, the result of the Spirit of God setting you apart, is for obedience to Christ in the sense of salvation, that you put your trust in Christ in time and history. When God chose you, the Spirit worked in you, you responded, and you could not help it. You put your trust in Christ. Obedience is a term that is sometimes used in Scripture to tell us about salvation. In Acts 6-7, the Bible says, And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, that's the Jewish priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. Obedience in this context means the same thing as in that. Obedience in the sense that they obeyed the Spirit of God and put their trust in Christ. things that the gospel brings to humanity is hope. We were hopeless without Christ, but God has given us hope. Welcome to this next session in our Living Hope series taken from 1 Peter. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is going to explain several things for us. God is sovereign. He's planned our salvation. And when trials come into our lives, His sovereignty allows us to rest in Him. It's no accident we are saved, and it will not be an accident when trials come. But God is big enough to handle whatever comes our way. And this, too, brings us hope. As we go through this series, I believe you're going to be challenged in your faith. But you're also going to grow in your faith and the hope that is ours because of Jesus. So now, here is Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Putting the Father's work and the Spirit's work together, what do we mean? We mean this, that God the Father chose the sinner out from among mankind to be the recipients of the setting apart work of the Spirit, in which work the Holy Spirit sets the sinner apart from his unbelief to what? How does he work in you? That's an amazing thing. God the Spirit works in you in conformity to the Father's will, to his choosing you, that sometime in time and in history, God the Spirit breaks into your heart and into your daily life and does a work in you so that you respond to Christ. How? Look at the next part. That you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Usually, when we refer to obedience of Jesus Christ, we talk about 
a Christian's obedience. That's not what it's talking about. The results of the Father's choosing, the results of the Spirit of God setting you apart, is for obedience to Christ in the sense of salvation, that you put your trust in Christ in time and history. When God chose you, the Spirit worked in you, you responded and you could not help it. You put your trust in Christ. Obedience is a term that is sometimes used in Scripture to tell us about salvation. In Acts 6-7, the Bible says, And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, that's the Jewish priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. Obedience in this context means the same thing as in that. Obedience in the sense of they obeyed the Spirit of God and put their trust in Christ. In Romans 1.5, we read, Through who we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among Gentiles for his name's sake. Same thought. Obedience. Salvation. Look at the next part. This results in the blood of Christ cleansing us. It results in cleansing the sinner and making him a new creature. The sprinkling of the blood of Christ, that's an Old Testament picture. And it refers to the Levitical priest, the ritual he went through where the priest would take the blood of the sacrificed animal and sprinkle the people and symbolically they would be cleansed from their sin. That's what Peter is saying, that the blood of Christ cleanses you. But the point that we're saying is simply this. God is sovereign. He planned your salvation. So when trials come along, you've got a sovereign God. It's very simple. I don't want to stretch it out that much. If God is so sovereign that he plans your salvation, do you think the trials that you go through, do you think the trials that they went through caught God by surprise? It's no accident that you're saved, and it's no accident that the trials have come. If your God is not big enough to plan your salvation, he's certainly not going to be big enough to handle your suffering. That's the whole point Peter is making. He's big enough to save you, to plan it, to work it all out. He's also big enough to handle your problems on earth. That's the kind of God we have. And it brings hope to us. It brings hope to my heart to know that God is so great. Sometimes we say the term Almighty God. Willie Dismore and I were just talking about that this week. Almighty God. Sometimes we forget the term all. He's almighty. And if he's so great that he plans salvation in eternity past, he certainly can take care of your problems and mine. That gives us hope. God cares, doesn't he? You know, there's no accidents in the Christian life. There are only incidents. Every one of us goes through things. I can recall a conversation I had with somebody not too long ago that didn't have this perspective. We were talking about Johnny Erickson, who became really crippled for life when she dove off of the Chesapeake Bay and landed on her head in the water, and she's now a quadriplegic. I was speaking to some Christians about this, and you know what this one person's response was? Well, it's her fault. Can't expect God to bail her out of that. She should have known better. And I thought, what a perspective to have. When this person goes through trials, is that their perspective? You know, God is sovereign. All things work together for good. All things. God is sovereign to plan your salvation. He's sovereign to carry it out in your life. He says also something else. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. The term fullest measure means to abound greatly. It's not a term that's used elsewhere in Scripture in the sense of greeting. What is he saying? Listen, you aren't in heaven yet. Though God plans it, you are not in heaven yet. You know that. I know that. You're right in the middle of persecution. You're right in the middle of trials, of suffering. But listen, God planned your salvation and he can give you all the grace that you need. Grace is that strength. It's not talking here about grace for salvation. They already have that. God can give you all the grace you need, all the peace you need. He's so sovereign to plan your salvation. He's sovereign to give you the grace when you need it. 
God gives grace to the humble, the scripture says. And the peace he's talking about is not peace with God, it's the peace of God that you need in trials today. Grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. But not only is it a planned salvation, it's a present salvation, verse 3. And here's where we really get into the text. God didn't just plan your salvation, but he followed through and he made it reality in your life. Aren't you glad? It's not some kind of just jigsaw puzzle up in heaven. God worked it through so that it's reality for you and me today. It's a present salvation. It's not something that just is in the past. It's today. It's now. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be what? Born again, but now we're born again. Not in the future, now. Now we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our salvation is now. We have a living hope now. It's a present reality. We have it now based on the great mercy of God. You know what mercy is? Mercy, someone has said that really mercy is not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell, but in his mercy, we've been born again. We don't deserve heaven, but in his grace, we have it. We are presently born again. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, we read, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now let's stop there for a moment. Our salvation now is a salvation that is not complete. Number one, it's a salvation over the penalty of sin. It's a salvation over the power of sin, but it is not a salvation over the presence of sin. And in this passage in Ephesians, it's kind of parallel because he says, now you have the Holy Spirit of promise, that great promise. And then he goes on to say, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit has been given you, which is what salvation is and is what being born again is. It's receiving God's spirit. You're born again in your spirit. You have received the Holy Spirit and he is given as the word of God says, as a pledge, a down payment that what has taken place now, which is incomplete, will someday be complete in heaven. That's what Peter is saying. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the word of God teaches. And that's why we say it's a present salvation, but it stirs in us that hope that someday it will be a complete salvation. So what you're going through now with your salvation and your trials and your problems, someday will be over because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that. Because he lives, you will live also. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There's a present salvation now, but someday there's coming a time when we will know no sorrow. When we will have no trials. When God says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the assurance that this is true is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's what our salvation is based on. That's why we have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. Remember, these people were going through tremendous problems. One Bible teacher said, the gift of this living hope can be appreciated only by those who know the bondage of fear which held the pagan masses of that day captive. Those who were economically and politically well-situated were surfeited with the fed-up life of luxury or unsatisfied with the aimless and bankrupt pursuit of meaningless philosophical speculation. They knew nothing of real joy or hope or peace, while Greco-Roman civilization abounded with beauty and with courage and with intellectual vigor. 
It was indeed a world without hope. Old age was faced with fear. Life was continually threatened with misfortune and tragedy, and early death was to be desired above a life that at last had to end. The philosopher Sophocles put it this way, not to be born at all, that is by far the best fortune. The second best is as soon as one is born with all speed to return thither whence one has come. What a tragic thing. No hope whatsoever. Peter says you have been born again right now to a living hope because Jesus Christ has proven that there's something else. There's something else in the trials that you're going through. There's something more than salvation. That when those moments for you and me come with discouragement, this is what I believe with all my heart that Paul meant when he said in Ephesians 6, put on the helmet of salvation. That when Satan throws his darts at you, when Satan throws his doubts and discouragements, you've got the helmet of salvation. It won't always be this way. Someday it's going to change. That's what God says to us. I don't know, like I said before, what your test is, but someday it'll change. The helmet of salvation, put it on. Leave it on, put it on, so when Satan bombards you, you know that it's not always going to be this way. Remember that song that we sung tonight by the Bill Gaither trio, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because I Know He Holds the Future, and Life Is Worth the Living, Just Because He Lives, Because Someday We Will Live With Him in Heaven. But there's something more. We need to know there's something else, another fact about salvation that gives us hope. It's not just a present salvation. It's not just a planned salvation. It is a permanent salvation. It's not something that's just for here and now, but it's permanent. Look at verse 4. He says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. To obtain an inheritance. This is an interesting expression. Because we're God's children... Through the new birth, we've been born again. We become heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Romans 8.17 tells us that. And because of that, we have the inheritance. It's ours. As we said this morning, Paul says, all things are yours because you're Christ. And Christ is God's. You've got everything. To the Old Testament Jew and to the Jewish person who was reading this, when he heard the term inheritance, his mind went back to the Old Testament reference to Canaan. Remember in the Old Testament, that was the Jews' inheritance. They were promised a land, Palestine, Canaan, Jerusalem. To the New Testament Christian, you know what his inheritance is? God himself. God in his mansion. Turn with me to John chapter 14 and you'll see this. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. John chapter 14. This is our inheritance. We're not waiting for land. This is why you have to approach the scripture from what we call a dispensational point of view. If you're waiting for Jerusalem, you're in trouble. I've got relatives who want to go back there, but not because they're Christians, but because they're Jews. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare, what? A place for you. That's your inheritance, that place. And God himself and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The inheritance that we're promised is not some land, but it's heaven where God is and the mansions, the dwelling places that Christ is now preparing for us. What a motivation for hope, that we have a permanent hope. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. It's permanent. Your salvation is not just present. There's something more. It cannot fade away. 
But the question could arise in some Jewish people's minds as they were reading this about the promised land, about the problem that Canaan had, all the problems that that land went through. They could have said, how do we know that the inheritance we have is really going to be permanent because we've got so much trouble with the promised land? What about our heavenly promise? Is that permanent? Will that have problems like our earthly inheritance does? Peter lists three reasons why this inheritance is greater than the earthly inheritance. Number one, it's imperishable. This word could also mean unravaged by an invading army. It doesn't just have to mean imperishable. Palestine was ransacked by alien armies, but not so. Our inheritance, it will not be touched. It's imperishable. Nobody can get through there. Satan can't touch that place. It's also undefiled, which means free from moral pollution. Palestine went through so much. The lands of Jerusalem has gone through so much of idol worship and false gods and all kinds of moral pollution through Jewish people as well as people who persecuted them. But Peter says, what you have is undefiled. No pollution can get there. None. Then it will not fade away. It's permanent. Someday, the flowers that grow in Palestine, the grass that grows there will wither. The trees will die out. Things that are there, even that place will have to be changed as God makes a new heaven and a new earth. But Peter is saying, what you have, the inheritance you have, is permanent. It will not fade away. You see the gist of it? It is permanent. It's reserved in heaven for you. God is preserving this for his saints. And Satan can't touch it. Satan cannot get through there. Down on earth, he says, Satan can inspire all kinds of persecution. He can bring you suffering and trial with God's permission. But he can't touch your inheritance, though he would like to. He cannot get through to it. And in the midst of decay and death and temporary things, we have an inheritance that's permanent. You know, that ought to give you a perspective and me a, a better perspective. When suffering comes, our material things don't look like much, do they? I mean, really, sometimes we get caught up because we live in a material world and because by nature we're basically greedy. It's nice to have a nice house, car, nice clothes. But, you know, those things will fade. That's why you can't put your trust in those things. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, if you're seated with Christ in the heavenly, seek those things that are above, not the things that are temporary. God wants you to have an eternal perspective. Sometimes God sends suffering so that you might do that. Remember in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 8, they were told by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they just wanted to stay around Jerusalem. And God sent a persecution so that they might get up and move out. God does that. Because many times, persecution gives us the proper perspective. But you've got a permanent inheritance. It's not temporary. So put your value on things that have value. Put your perspective where it ought to be. And finally, it's a protected salvation. Verse 5, it's protected. Who are protected or kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says not only is our inheritance kept for us, but we're kept. We're kept and protected for that inheritance. The term protected is a military term meaning to guard. And think of all that Peter is saying. The Lord is guarding you. Even though sometimes when suffering comes, and maybe we fail the Lord like Peter did, and we weep bitterly and we deny him, sometimes Satan will put that little doubt in your mind. Are you really his child? How can his child respond like that in suffering? Listen, you and I are capable of doing anything anything, no matter if you're redeemed or not. You are capable and I am capable of the worst thing that anyone can do. 
We're not like that only by God's grace. But we have a protected salvation. Our security is for sure. Satan doesn't have to put, he can try to put doubts in your mind, and he probably tried to put doubts in their mind. Remember what Peter says in chapter 5, verse 12, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Jesus in John chapter 10 said that he didn't just believe in the security of the believer, he believed in the double security of the believer. He said, nobody's going to snatch you out of my hand, and nobody's going to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nobody. You are being protected. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing, because sometimes those who are of a different theological persuasion think that their salvation really depends upon them keeping up and keeping up and keeping up. But God says, listen, I'm going to be faithful to you. I don't care about your faithfulness to me in the sense of keeping you, regardless of how faithless you are. I'm true to my promise, and you are being guarded. God has a guard over you. Satan can't penetrate that. What an encouragement. What a hope ought to spring up in our heart because we are protected by God himself. And put it all together, the salvation that God plans in eternity past cannot be taken away from you right now. And he's protecting you right now. God is sovereign. It all comes back to that. Martin Luther said, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. That's from his song, his hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, that he's confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. The same power that can regenerate a sinner and make him a saint guarantees that the preservation and protection and safety and ultimate realization of all that has been promised through Christ Jesus. It's his power. Verse 5, you're protected by the power of God. That same power that regenerates you protects you. There's no fear. He protects you through faith. In response to our faith, God protects us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? That gives us hope. Some of these things maybe you knew, but you never put it in the same perspective that Peter puts it here. When suffering comes, you need to remember these things. What about some practical application? As aliens in this world, we can expect persecution. You and I are different from the people around us. And you know, when you're different, you're always suspect. People don't like people who are different. If you behave like a Christian, you're suspect. People are always suspicious of strangers. So my advice to you is when it comes, the persecution comes, expect it. Realize that it's going to happen. Number two, God has placed you in this world in a strategic place. God is sovereign and he has you here in Pinellas County because God plans it that way. I don't know how that works, but God is so sovereign that he's placed you here in a strategic location. And you know what? You don't come to church, I hope, or people shouldn't come to church simply to hear salvation, even though we spoke about salvation this morning. You know why we gather together? We gather together to be taught the Word of God, and we scatter to evangelize. The church is not, a, in the sense of a meeting like this, a soul-saving place, although that enters into it at times. But God wants you to scatter. I think when you go through those doors, it'd be nice to have a sign sometime that says, you're now going into a mission field. You go into all the world, you're scattered, you gather to be taught the word of God, you scatter to evangelize. Number three, when persecution comes, make sure your foundation is salvation in Christ. I don't know if you're saved, only you know, God knows. But when we know some great facts about our salvation, we can face any trial with hope. No matter what the enemy throws at us, if we're secure, in the fact that we are Christians because of our salvation in Christ, we can face 
any trial because we have hope. We are a people who have hope. And the fourth practical application is this. In the midst of suffering, material possessions seem so shallow. Why not ask God right now to help each of us to have a perspective that's eternal because our inheritance will never fade away and that ought to be our focus point. As aliens in this world, we can expect persecution. When Pastor Steve said that, what was your reaction? I'm not looking forward to persecution, mind you, or trials or difficulties. However, as Pastor Steve reminded us, we are different from the people around us. People don't like people who are different. If you behave like a Christian, you're suspect. Then Pastor Steve said, when persecution comes, expect it. Realize that it's going to happen. I also took great encouragement from Pastor Steve's statement, God has placed you in this world in a strategic place. I find that very interesting. You and I are placed where we are by God for His use. So let's keep our eyes open so that we can see how He wants to use us. I'm glad you joined us for today's verse-by-verse program where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. If you would like information about Lakeside Community Chapel, where Steve is the pastor, please check out www.lakesidechapel.com. We're out of time for today, so let me urge you to join us next time on Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.